Hi, my name's Michelle Haig. I'm the CEO and founder of HEED. We have another exciting and innovative episode of Early Years Connect today. You really will leave this episode feeling inspired, refreshed, and ready perhaps to try something new in your classrooms. So in the early years, we know children are like sponges, soaking up knowledge and experiences that lay the foundations for lifelong learning. It is a critical period for shaping not only their cognitive development, but also their social, their emotional and physical well-being. In this episode, we delve into excellence and innovation and how they play a pivotal role in giving our youngest learners the best possible start in life. Today's guest has quite an incredible bio. She's currently the head of early years at an award-winning London Day preschool with a global schools group. As a mover and shaker in education, she's over 14 years experience in both the maintained and independent sectors with a proven track record working in the top 1% of schools nationally. Doesn't stop there. She's a member of the Chartered College of Teaching and has contributed many articles for many associations, including the prestigious Eton Journal for Innovation and Research in Education. As the founder of Mayfair Education Coaching, we'll definitely hear more about excellence and innovation in this episode. Welcome, Dominique. Hello. Oh, it's so good to be talking with you today. And that was quite a long lead in to the podcast. But Dominique, your bio is incredible. You know, the experiences you've had that lead you to being here with us today. I know. Wow. What a welcome. Thank you. <laughs> So um, we talk we talk a lot about excellence and in the leading we've spoken a lot about excellence and innovation and sometimes these words are just banded around aren't they without really understanding perhaps what they mean or what they look like in classrooms yeah i think it's a really important conversation um and discussion point to start with actually what is excellence and that vision of excellence can look so different um, in different settings that you go into um, and it's about being really clear about one well what is your vision of excellence and i think that very much does depend on your understanding of what your purpose and your mission is within your setting and then secondly how do you achieve that excellence with the people that you have in your communities that you are serving one of the things that we do as part of HEED is we go into earlier settings and we're looking at um, sustained development over time. So we might go in and do an audit and then some coaching, come back and do some support with the school. But often a really good starting place is what is your vision for early years? Uh, mm -hmm. Because without that vision in place, it's very hard to root back to your core purpose to know exactly what your unique school stands for. Um, and once you start working with staff members and extract what is it that's important to you about your early years setting, th those common words such as security, sense of belonging, community, you know, the fact that the, the unique and the whole child um, it, it is focused upon within the curriculum. Yeah. So, 
you know, when shaping that vision, it really helps to extract the keywords. What is it about your setting that is really unique for the children that are here? Hmm. Yeah, excellence is a journey, isn't it? It's not a destination. And no matter how excellent your setting is, even if you're excellent in all areas or Ofsted outstanding, there is always, always going to be parts of your provision of your offering that you can develop. And that's what's really exciting about the whole journey is that it's that striving for more and that working together to be the absolute best that we can be for our children who at the end of the day are our future and they do deserve the very best of the best that we can give them because quality early years provision stays with children for life. Um, and also excellence isn't something that can be done alone. And if you're trying to achieve that excellence alone, then that's going to come at huge sacrifice and cost to you and your, your children. So it's about having opportunities like this to reach out and to network and to connect with the whole early years community um, and to really um, learn from each other and to continue on that journey of excellence every day um, because no one is the finished article. I've been teaching for 14 years. I'm still nowhere near the finished article. I learn things every day and it's about sharing that journey with each other um, and bringing everything down to the children and getting the very best outcomes for them, both educationally and in terms of providing that exceptional pastoral care in order for them to thrive. It's a really it's a really good place to start, isn't it? To bring that debate forward with your early years team uh, and indeed wider across school about what is excellence to us? What, what does it look like so that when you walk into your early years setting, you know absolutely what you're looking for? Because like you were saying, there's not one size doesn't fit all no. and staffing can be fluid. And definitely the outdoor space, the very creation of the school building and how that lends itself to children's learning will be different. So to simply host even an hour staff meeting where you discuss what is excellence in early years at your particular school makes it a really well-rounded debate. Mm. And I always say going into a setting, it's so important to spend that time. It is about three P's when you're working to achieve excellence and creating that vision with your team. So my three P's that I always look at is people, um, is place and is purpose-led developments. So firstly, it's looking at the people that are in your setting and knowing that they, you know, your staff, your people, your children, your families are your greatest resource. I know recently on one of your podcasts, you were talking about resources and actually how, you know, people are our greatest resources and a school or an earlier setting is only ever going to be as good as the people 
that are in it. So firstly, it is really about understanding those needs of your children, of your staff, of your parents, and they are very different or can be very different from uh, setting to setting. So really working out what those inherent needs are and asking those questions, are we meeting these children's needs, these children's inherent human needs that they have, are they being met? That's number one thing to look at. Um, and then in terms of place, once you've worked to build these relationships with your people, you're then able to create the early years as the beating heart of your school. Um, and I think you know when this has been achieved because everyone in the school and the community wants to spend time in early years. You know, if they're having a bad day, <laughs> they, they want to be downstairs in early years to soak up that spirit and that energy of, um, you know, progress and learning and moving things forward um, in that incredible way in which we do. Um, and then finally, I think it's really important when you're looking at your vision and you're co-creating that with your team, with your leadership team, with your staff team, with your parents and your children, is to really understand where you are and not to fall into that comparison trap with others. Um, and I apply... Um, a MIC approach to do this. So M stands for maintain, is really looking at, well, what is working really well? What is great about the setting? And do we want to do lots more of? And then I is improve and, you know, sitting down and being really honest with each other and the team. Well, what, what are we doing that's good? But could we maybe tweak a little bit and make a bit better? And then finally change, you know, if warranted, um, working with the senior leadership team. What is it that we can really push forwards in terms of our innovation and purpose-led developments to really you know go to, to extra go to new heights so we know that your day-to-day -day job is early years lead in school at the moment so when we look at excellence and we step into one of your early years classrooms maybe your reception class what would we see so I think going in, the first thing you, it isn't really what you see, is what you sense. Right. I um, really understand that. There's a heartbeat of an early years classroom, isn't there? And I guess the first thing you do is you you kind of look around and have that sense of awe and wonder and curiosity and, and the vibrance within the classroom. So um, absolutely, absolutely resonate with what you're saying the absolute feeling that you get when you go into early years. So I always describe it as the electricity of learning. Like, can you feel that vibe, that buzz, that electricity of learning, like when you go in? And you'd usually, I know in my settings in my classrooms, where music is a big part, singing is a big part. So before you even, fun is a big part, before you even enter the classroom, it's what you hear in the corridor before you go in. Are the children laughing? Uh, do you, you know, do you hear that low level chatter, buzz, excitement? Um, do you hear singing coming down the halls and music? 
Um, and then once you go in, do you sense that buzz and that real electricity and love of learning? And then what can you see? Can you see that your children are engaged? Are they excited? Do they have that wonderment and that awe for and thirst for learning? And are they doing that questioning? Are they, um, do they have smiles on their faces? Do they want to find out even more about what they're doing? Um, can you see those interactions that are so key to get right and to have between staff and children? You can tell when, you know, staff feel good and they are enjoying what they're doing staff that love teaching teach children to love that to love learning um and you can really you can really see that as soon as you go in um and then of course the environment um we know is the third teacher um and what can you see as evidence in the environment of the, of the children's learning. Yes, most of that evidence will be on the child, <laughs> but there'll be, you know, things on the walls. Can you see the number of the week? Is that displayed for the children to refer back to throughout the week? What's the sound of the week? Can you see that reflected in, you know, on the working wall in, in the classroom? Um, have you got that sense of bringing the outside in so that children are able to have that curiosity and to continue those investigations into learning about the natural world. Um, there's just so many different elements, isn't there? <laughs> really and that's why when people say, uh, hey, do an audit. So we have a, a simple audit tool that people will soon be able to download off the website and it talks you through the key features of uh, an environment of excellence. So you could walk around with your clipboard and almost think in, in a very um, quantitative way, uh, is there space for one child to play? Yes, there is. Uh, do we have space for two children to play collaboratively, collaboratively together? Yes, we do. Is there a space for a group of children to come together and, and really speak and listen and talk and negotiate? Yes, there is. But none of that tick list, really, you can you can measure buzz. You can't come to a tick list and all of a sudden tick your um, electric atmosphere. You know, when you're doing an audit, it really has to be it has to be curated. Mm. You know, and it's the whole environment, isn't it, Dominique, that does that. It's it's the lighting, it's the atmosphere, it's the use of materials and texture and light. So it, yeah. it really is a combination of so many different factors. It's what we know now in terms of how that environment makes children feel. And I know, and this is embarrassing, but you know, when I was first in the classroom, I spent hours and I was so delighted with these beautiful displays that I made and they were all different rainbow colours that the children liked and you know had a big shower curtain for Ikea and all of these drapes and at the time I thought you know this is great children are going to be so interested and in looking at the word wall I look back at pictures now and I just think 
my goodness it's so overwhelming <laughs> um and just stripping things back and having those neutrals just having that key information that children need to learn on the walls so that they're then not just using it as wallpaper but they can see the purpose of having their word wall there and when they go to write their sentences or their words or their letters they can look up and they can see that that's there to help them um and to making you know making sure that it is it does look beautiful it is aesthetically pleasing that is so important as well as having that interest that children have that right to feel at rest and not overstimulated um but then you're also trying to do those things like make it a print rich environment and to um have you know different things available to them to learn from around the environment but doing it in a way where it doesn't overload and overstimulate do you know there's something that there's something that really resonates with me around this stripping back of the environment because we're, we're not making it we're not making it so neutral so that there's no interest so there's no light there's no texture um, there's no scientific interest. So that there is this thing for me about not making it too brown to frown, but actually bringing those neutrals in. Yeah, <laughs> but bringing the neutrals in, bringing the texture in. But also there's something for me as well around the way we use our voice as adults, because in some environments you can have the most wonderful creative environments, but actually you can hear the staff voice um, really loud and above the children. And that there's something for us as adults as well that's about how we use our, you know, our, our voice to communicate and how we're modeling that to children appropriately as well. And such yeah. a lot factored in, isn't there? And, and within that stripping back as well, Dominique, I, I'm really curious at the moment about the use of tough spots. Um, and there are some tough spots at the moment that feel a bit like show homes, this ultimate curation of this most wonderful tough spot. But actually, what learning is taking place and is the learning that you planned for actually what's happening within that tough spot at the moment? And mm. I've seen it in terms of there was a wonderful tough spot set out. And it had got a beautiful textured bottom. There were farm animals. Um, there were fine motor scoops and teaspoons for children to almost scoop the, gra the grains into the, um, into the tractors. And yet the learning outcome that was by the tough spot was, can you subitize the number of cows? And when you look at such a, a wonderfully shaped tough spot, actually, was that the learning that was going to take place in that moment? Or is it a fine motor activity? Mm. And I think that's really that there's a core message that's starting to brew in early years at the moment. That's about that stripping back and focusing on the learning that children need to experience at that time and how you're going to promote that but it doesn't necessarily mean an Instagram tough spot. Yeah, I love that. I love that phrase you use, show home. <laughs> it is like that, isn't it? Because um, I know I'm 
I'm the same at home. And what we want to be able to do is to create these amazing environments which look beautiful and feel amazing to be in, but you can also live in and you can relax and you, you know, they they make sense, they're organized, um, and you can you can do what you need to do within them without feeling like you can't do that. Um, so in the classroom, I think there is, and you know what it's like, I know what it's like when you've spent ages getting something ready and you want it to all look amazing, and you, especially, you know, if you've got visitors coming in and you want to show them round and you want to be really proud of your setting and what you can see, it's so hard then to just think, well, I'm going to take a step back. I'm going to let the children into this activity. I'm going to see how they interact and play with it. And nine times out of 10, you will sit down and you will think of a brilliant activity that you've seen on Instagram or you know, you've got in your planning and you'll go to do that with the children and actually they'll come up with a better idea. Right of how of how they can use what you've given them as a stimulus to learn yeah. I've seen so many times where I thought oh this is going to be great I'm going to do this and it's going to be a counting activity and we're going to sit down and it's going to lead to this and then they sit down and they've worked out you know something quite amazing about the resource that you didn't even know it did that and then that's led into an inquiry into um, you know something else and they want to look it up and then it's led on to something else and you just think wow I could never have sat down <laughs> and typed this up onto my plan to get this whole you know vehicle for learning ready for the children that was so that would engage them so much and would lead to so many different learning opportunities so what I quite like to do sometimes is to have that flexibility definitely but also good children that freedom so you're putting things out don't have a learning objective straight away put things out observe your children see how they interact with those resources what are they interested in what aren't they interested in get them to ask those questions get them to think about how they can use them and for what activities because they have better ideas and are far more creative <laughs> than any of the adults in the room <laughs> that's um, so true that's so yeah. true so when we when we walk into your classroom do we see coves and do we see um, lots of resources in containers that you would rotate according to children's needs and interests? Are, are the tabletops set up with a learning stimulus or do you have a couple maybe not created? When you walk in, what, what would somebody see? So we have a very balanced environment. Um, we have, um, we definitely have those coves and those curved um, edges um, and our little sensory down with the lights, um, which are multi-use, we use them for nap time, um, as well as reading, story time, if you just want to relax, have a bit more of a rest, role play's been in there. Um, it is free flow, um, so children will take resources from different areas and 
use the space quite flexibly. Um, we also have our tables. Um, we do have chairs. <laughs> Sometimes the children will sit um, and use um, the tables. We'll always put things out um, and that will have a clear learning intention. Um, we support the maths, for example, the phonics and the literacy every day through um, focused learning activities. But then we also do that. We do a lot of learning outside so every morning. We're outdoors and it doesn't matter what the weather is. They put on their water breeze and we go outside. We usually um, got a beautiful earlier's garden, which um, is quite lucky for London. Um, and then we do the same in the afternoon. So they've got twice a day at least that they are going outside and using the outdoor area. Um, but we 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 mix it so that children have those opportunities to do all types of learning and they we have key worker groups but they also mix so they have that one-to-one -one time with staff they have the, the group time with staff they work as a whole class group at times too um for example we sit down for lunch and that's really lovely it's like a big um family meal where everyone sits down together and they have their fresh freshly prepared nutritious um meals prepared on site um and then they have that talk time and those opportunities to interact and to chat with each other so it's very much a, a good mix of, of everything um along with that real focused teaching and carpet time we do register so every morning and every afternoon they come and sit down on the carpet we count how many children there are today have a go at writing the number um so it is it is very very broad and very very mixed and lots of opportunities to do to do it all yeah, and that, that routines and transitions are key here, aren't they? I mean, when we talk about learning through play and we talk about the use of um, routines, for example, one of the things that, you know, Heed really advocates is there are um, uh, pens that you can, there's a pen holder. And uh, the one that we've had is from Amazon, but we'd, we'd like to go to production, to be fair, with a much a better model. But the, the concept of it is that children would always put five pens back in the pot and they would either be within the same colour grouping and you would use numerical representation. So you might use um, dice patterns one week, you might use a tally system the next week so that children are really becoming familiar with the representation of five, um, the grouping of colours as they're putting the pens back in the pot, but also taking real responsibility for their environment and building their independence. So you, there's one of two ways. You can do a, a direct carpet teach, which of course we advocate at times some maths to be taught that way, but really building in their understanding and their learning through everyday routines and transitions is absolutely key. Yeah, we've had a lot of children who have come to us with English as an additional language, started with no language whatsoever, um, and children who um, have taken more time to settle. And it is those routines um, that that involve singing 
as well and hearing hearing the sounds over and over and over again and knowing and having that safety and security in knowing what what they're doing now what the expectation is what's coming next and then being able to use that to to have that ability to relax into enjoying everything else that that we offer um does that mean there's does that mean there's a tidy up song for you? I mean, he'd he'd spoke very much about um, rather than tidying up, we talk about pick it up and set it up, where children um, shadow and set up the activity ready for the next play and explore time. Otherwise, they can tidy up so well, Dominic, that you turn around and everything is like away, and your classroom looks really bare. So yes. the whole idea, the whole idea of picking up and setting up is your the children are learning to take responsibility for establishing and creating that environment as well. But that you don't spend lots of time during the school day tidying up, breaking routine, tidy up. It's very much pick it up and set it up. But but I'm just wondering for you when you talk about music so much, is there a tidying up play song playing? Are you singing while you tidy up? What does it look like? Okay, so we have our, in the morning, we have our Make Circle song um, and the afternoon as well. We have it on the board, so there's a little dance that goes with it. They make the circle. They know that that's circle time. It's time to sit down, start the morning, start the afternoon. They know they're going to be counting how many children we've got and they know they're going to have a go at writing or, you know, putting the stickers on the tens frame. That is just a given. They know, they know what, what, what the drill is um and then we do have a tidy up song um we don't spend lots and lots of time um i think anyone that's come into my setting always comments and says wow everything's got its place and that's key when i um was first into leading within the early years, what we did do as a team was spend that time just taking everything out almost, putting things away that we didn't need to have out all of the time because children were just, you know, going around, tipping things out, flitting here, flitting over there. Um, and before you know it, you know, you turn around and it, it it takes ages then to tidy up so we did put a lot of things away and we do then rotate them so you've got the interest going in you know each morning or each week to see that there's a new thing that's been that's been set out that wasn't there before um and then it also allows everything to have a place and the children know where 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 to keep things the adults know where to keep things so it's very easy then and they know because we have it as one of our golden rules that looking after our property um when you finished with your with your resource you you put it back in in the right in this in the place that you found it from so that really works and I know one of the things, because we've spoken before, which is great, I love the fact that we've had discussions and now we can come together on a podcast and just share lots of ideas with listeners out there. Um, you also teach Italian. 
to your we do. So we, our um, staff body in the early years, um, what I did not know when I first joined was that we have a highly talented chef um, and we have we have staff that speak fluent Italian. So um, we've made full use of these talents. Every Thursday, the children will cook and we have our in-house chef which sadly is not me. <laughs> I'd love to take credit for the amazing things they produce. Um, but yeah, absolutely incredible. If you've got an idea of what you want, before you know it, the you know it's all the, the it's all whizzed up in the in the kitchen. Yep, that's fine. We can just do that. Noki, did you know you know how to make noki with potatoes <laughs> and flour? <laughs> I mean, it's been it's been a journey for me. <laughs> it's one of those P's though isn't it because one of your P's was people and unless you sit down and have those conversations that say to staff you know what are you really into what are your interests what are your hobbies you know otherwise you can work with somebody for years and all of a sudden find out that they're really good at portrait drawing you know, yeah. or, or they do photography as a hobby and an interest. And we, we know school lives are busy. We know we go, you know, 100 miles an hour from one task to another. But actually, those conversations with people, are, well, it's wonderful for them to be able to share their interest and their hobby, but also the children learn so much from it. I mean, when I was a head teacher, the out-of-school clubs that we would run as extracurricular were things like floristry, and, um, you know, that was amazing to see children walk out with their um, with their oasis full of different flowers ready to present onto the table. Um, we've done um, cross stitch. Uh, we've just finished a session of pound generation, which is dance using drumsticks. So the amount of extracurricular activities that we can offer is certainly part of that excellence package. Mm. Yeah, no, definitely. I think going back to people and the three P's. So my second P is place. And I think as we have our vision for excellence, the way in which we go about achieving that, what we need to make sure with that second P is that we are creating that place of belonging. Mm -hmm. And that our staff feel that they can that they do belong that they can bring all of those great parts of themselves outside of work all of those talents and interests they have can be so transferable to the classroom um and for children as well you know and families we we do this all of the time too so if we know that we're learning about something and the family or the child has really great experience with that they can they can bring those pictures in or they can bring those artifacts in or family can come in you know we're learning about um ourselves at the moment and one of our mums has just had a baby so the baby's got an invitation to come into the, into, the, into the setting for the children to really learn firsthand um, from, from that. So I'm going to do a complete switch now, Dominique, because we're going to go from babies to AI. Um, oh, okay. It's a huge subject jump, but as alongside excellence, there's innovation. And I know as a head of an outstanding school, you're always, um, you're always looking to develop. 
as a head of a requires improvement school, your eye is on really improving your practice all of the time. So I think no matter what your judgment is and beyond the judgment, because we know schools just aren't judgment places. Um, so beyond that, you're always looking for the next step to develop and enrich your school. And I know you've been using AI in your classrooms. A few weeks ago, we had um, Dan, the AI educator, um, on our podcast. Great to listen to him about the rapid advancement of AI um, in classrooms, including early years. So um, tell us, tell us about AI in the classroom right now. Yeah, AI. So this is huge, isn't it? And it is not going anywhere. So we have to embrace it and we have to look at our provision and where we are now and welcome and see how we're going to really use what we have got here in the early years um, to, to advance what we're doing. Um, so I think with AI, um, we have, I, I've used it already, I use it a lot in my role, um, and it is great. Um, there are some key considerations when sure. working with younger children, but I think it really is, over the next few years, we'll really see quite a rapid change with early years and the whole education around um the, this formative time you know we will have very soon early years chat boxes and we will have these parenting apps and parents will be looking to ai to support them with understanding um their child's development healthy brain development um, early learning um, and what they can do to to support that in the classroom I think as well we need to look at well how can we embrace what we've got here so an example of what I've done recently is to is with literacy early literacy looking at stories um, and you know we've always done helicopter stories and shared writing activities where the children will think of ideas and you'll piece it all together to get your story that you're writing all together as a group well now we've got AI so that that we're able to ask AI or chat the chat can you you know we've got this part of the story what could be next and you're sort of piquing children's interest so that they don't know what it's going to come out with you don't know what it's going to come out with it's got that surprise that lovely surprise element um and also it brings the group together um and that has been that has been really exciting the children have really enjoyed that um we used to call it you know stories in our heads <laughs> and can, can you tell me a story from your head um that that's always been a favorite game now it's like well can we can we ask ai to make us a story from from its head <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay so it's finding the place of AI in the classroom and I guess there's going to be a lot of trial and error over the next few years about how to use it safely how to mm -hmm. use it appropriately mm -hmm. how um how to make sure that it doesn't dominate the early years classroom but certainly has its place in early years um because we know now technology is not one of the 
um, early learning goals or, or steps towards that. But it's now probably more integral in the classroom than it's ever been. Um, mm -hmm. what, what technology are you currently using as part of excellence and innovation? Yeah, so it's always something that we're developing. Um, something that I'm doing at the moment is using QR codes um, and generating those so that you can link um, the tapestry of children's learning journeys together. Um, so we've just been updating some of our displays um, and the QR codes and having that generated and put onto the display is something that we're working on at the moment um, so that when you walk in you can see the pictures of what we've been doing but then um, not in the classroom but outside and in our marketing you can scan and see um, you know see the video that links to 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 that part um, and we have our iPads and our apps um, which are developing all of the time. Um, we are looking at our toys and the resources that we have um, working in a bigger schools group. We have access to other schools. We have some quite amazing spaces in terms of um, their immersive technology classrooms. So when you go in, you can, um, you know, the lights will change the, the whole room to a forest setting, for example, and you can immerse yourself in, in this almost 3d like um space and you can change the settings and the sounds and have a real multi-sensory immersive experience through technology so that's pretty cool um i would um, imagine for children when they enter that space as well there's real awe and wonder real curiosity and real exploration of science from such an early age and bringing it alive yeah, just At just the same time that. wanting to work out well, how does that work? <laughs> it's exploring the possibilities, isn't it? And and really um, showing children what's possible out there. So that real, it's that blended learning time, isn't it? Where children will absolutely embrace technology and embrace AI, um, but equally do quite a lot of things in the classroom that are completely tech free. Yeah, and I think the conversation will always come back to understanding young children and their development and their need to um, have that movement, to have that time away from screens. You know, when we look at our when we look at our prams, when we look at some of the products that are on the market now for very young children you I mean you can get bottles now which come with an iPhone clip so the baby can be watching something as they're as they're drinking their bottle you know I genuinely never knew that I never knew there was such a thing on the market mm. and just think of all of the neuroscience and what we know about the importance of eye contact and seasonal influence and connection with people I'm, I'm really not sure how I feel about that. Mm. And also all the studies that have been done on helping to build children's executive functioning skills, their focus, their retention, this is something which can really interfere if it's 
got that overuse and it's not being used effectively or it's being used to pacify you see this all the time as well don't you when you go out for dinner or you know the parents they're on date night almost and the very young children are just sat on the ipad watching something to pacify them so that <laughs> you get through the meal <laughs> you know there's, there's such a lot of research out there that Dominic, that, that really advocates that back and forth conversation with adults, isn't there? Mm -hmm. And, you know, the Read and Framework does it brilliantly. Um, the Best Start in Life, um, Parts 1 and 2, both advocate the importance of oracy and the spoken language and communication being at the heart. And I think when we think about, and you've said this already, you know, staff are really are your greatest resource. I know, like you said, Kath from Learn Well, um, came on and spoke about the importance of staffing and the people that are in those early years classrooms. It's almost like we talk about the environment, we talk about excellence and innovation, but your staff are really at the heart of everything you do, aren't they? Staff really are, they matter. And it starts, I always say this to my team, it starts with you. Mm. Your happy you know those days that you're feeling great you're feeling good you're feeling happy you go into the classroom the children are so well behaved like everything seems to be going like absolutely brilliantly well the moment that you feel tired you feel stressed there's something else that you're thinking of that's when you see that the children you know aren't happy or you, there's, there's some you're finding yourself having to tidy up lots and it, it always goes back to staff I quite you know I'll also say that quite often with the whole do we need to take a child and have some reflection time or some space away from the setting? It's not usually the child that needs the time <laughs> out of the setting. It's the adult. Um, and it's really having that full understanding of your energy and your feelings and how that radiates out to children because they do co-regulate and they look to their key adults to have that security and that understanding of how to feel and how how to show up on that what any given day um so it does it starts with you um and you have to fill your own cup first so that you've got everything to give and to pour into others. Do you know, that's so true. And it feels like wellbeing for staff is a podcast in its own right, really. Mm -hmm. um, really helping to uh, look after the staff that are out there because they are doing a phenomenal job, as are you, each and every day working with our youngest children are really important. You don't hear that enough, do you? Enough. You don't hear that enough. I think we're breaking the culture now. People... People see early years now as, as a much more important phrase than maybe it was seen as 20 years ago. And within that, you know, we're really treasuring the wonderful um, development that happens to children's brains in their formative years. Um, certainly think neuroscience is helping helping to paint that picture now.
Mm. So, um, I'm mindful we need to draw to a close. We could talk all night because excellence and innovation in early years is key, isn't it? We're we're keen to do what we're doing every day exceptionally well, and um, to keep to keep nudging forward to learn more about how children themselves learn, and then put into place new adventures for children to partake in, because we know the world that they'll go into in terms of jobs or futures is not going to be the world that we're sitting in today. No, it won't. And I always talk about children having a spark of genius. Every child has that spark of genius. And really what it comes down to at the end of the day is as educators, with parents, we it is our role to help find that spark and to run with it. And once we, you know, find that and we keep that and we nurture that, then everything else comes. It makes the job joyous as well, doesn't it? It really does. So let's carry on with that, Spark. So um, let's say you're reading a story to somebody this evening to go to sleep. Which children's text are you going to choose? Which text? Oh, um, so I would choose my absolute favourite story when I was little to have read to me was The Tiger Who Came to Tea. So I absolutely loved that when I was little and I've read it to all of my children um, in all of my classes um, and they have absolutely loved it too. So the classic. It, really does that. it stands the test of time, doesn't it? In fact, I was walking past, I do believe it was Waterstones the other day and it was in the uh, in the front window and I thought, yes, it's great to see. Oh, was it? It's great to see some some classics and some really strong text still still featuring in the window. Really great to see. Well, Dominique, thank you. I'm sure we could invite you onto another podcast because there's so much more to explore in early years. And just Very much more, isn't there? I feel like I feel like we've only just scratched the surface and there's so much more, yeah, we could we could talk about. But and I think that's true. Whether you're whether you're an ECT coming into the classroom for the first time, whether you've been in year four and you're now working in reception, or you know whatever your position in early years, there's always so much more. Policies changing, guidelines are changing all of the time. Staying up to date, keeping abreast of changes, and just keep, keeping that classroom dynamic. Mm. Mm. keeping that energy and that momentum and that push forward um it, it is what makes it so exciting and you can learn so much all of the time about what you do and how you do it and why you do it um and be inspired from so many different sources as well um as well as the children that we have coming into the classrooms who, yeah, they inspire me every day. <laughs> I was just thinking exactly the same. And I have the privilege of growing across schools and um, there are children that I see time and time and time again and just having those conversations with them, checking in with them and uh, knowing them for the unique individual that they are. It's an absolute joy to work in early years, isn't it? Mm, it is, they're filled with such hope and such future and yeah 
Well, thank you, Dominic. You've touched on quite a few subjects today that we'll be covering in HEED. We have some CPD shorts coming up very shortly. Within that, there is one on visionary leadership. So we'll be looking at how to um, pull together your vision for your early years. Um, and if you've already got an early years vision, to reflect on it and to work out if it's still the vision that rings true for the children that you're in. Um, that's in your setting at the moment and the unique context of the school. So lots of exciting developments at HEED at the moment. But um, for tonight, Dominique, thank you for your time. And uh, I will speak to you again together soon because um, it's good, it's exciting, it's innovative. Let's keep chatting. Oh, we will do. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Um, I'm really great to connect with everyone on your platform. So yeah. thank you. No, thanks to you too.